I don't usually listen to what other people say of like what can and can't be done. I'm like, yeah, let me go check for myself. Sometimes that means I do dumb things. Sometimes it means that I find a solution that, you know, they didn't see, but I will always want to check. I don't just take for granted that, hey, you can't be done. I'm like, well, usually when people are telling you, you can't make money as a, say, a mortgage broker coach, what they're really saying is I can't make money and I hope you don't make money either. It's not actually a true statement. It's like, okay, cool. That's your perspective. But is there a way that could you make money and how could you make it work? And so that's how I think. I don't even pay any attention to that. Like it's irrelevant to me when somebody says that. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation, Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, I actually have myself being interviewed by my brother, Corey. So Corey Peckford is a, started a podcast about five months ago, and it's called the Investing in Calgary Real Estate Podcast. And he's been doing fantastic with it. It's actually been amazing to see the growth of his show as well as just the business that he's been getting from it. And so he said, hey, I want to get you on my show. And I'm like, sure, cool. So he had me on and we're going to do this in two parts because it was a bit of a longer conversation. And I think you'll find it interesting, just some of the ups and downs of like the stuff that I've learned building the mortgage business. Yeah, some of the questions he'd asked me, I hadn't been asked before. So I thought, hey, I'll turn this into a podcast you can check out. You can also check out his podcast as well. I'll put a link in the show notes. Before we jump into that, I want to give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application document collection submission platform designed specifically for Canadian borrowers. It's very easy to use for borrowers, easy for brokers to use as well. It's got some cool features like smart docs. It knows what documents the person needs based on how they fill out the app. It's got smart submission notes, so it pulls key data from the app to send to your lenders. And all around the feedback from the people that I have introduced to it have said it's been really, really easy to use and very slick. Check it out at lendescom slash binmo and check out this conversation with my brother, Corey. Hey guys, I got a very special guest on my show today. Definitely a first time for me, but I've got my brother from Kelowna on the show and I'm super excited for him to be here. So welcome, Scott Peckford. And uh, maybe you can start off by just telling the listeners a little bit about yourself and uh, what you're up to, what's keeping you busy. Sure. So I'm the older brother of Corey. And so I start with that and known him pretty much my whole life. So I have been in the mortgage business since 2006. And seven years ago, I started a podcast called Out of Mortgage Brokering, which was started off as just a hobby thing that's turned into something I didn't expect. More than a million downloads now and crazy. And I've been a training company, had several other companies in the mortgage space, but most recently for the last sort of 18, 19 months, we started a mortgage brokerage and it's growing like crazy, over 200 agents. And yeah, I mean, you've, I think you've met some of them in your line of work and stuff. And so I don't actually do the mortgages anymore to day to day. I just try to help our agents do more mortgages. So that's the main focus for us at the moment is just helping our agents. And uh, yeah, it's basically, I think it's keeping me busy, man. For sure. That's awesome. So normally with my guests, I always send them a template with questions. And actually, this is the first time I haven't sent someone a template and I might as well start with my brother. I wanted to do this on purpose just to hit him with questions that he didn't know was going to be, he couldn't be prepared for. So I have no idea what you're going to ask me. So much more fun. I know you're good for this. I've watched you at some of your seminars and stuff. You can shoot from the hip and yeah, you're good with whatever anybody else is. So you had mentioned that, was it seven years? I thought it was further back. You started your podcast. I don't know. I think it was like 2014. I think yeah, it was 14. It? it was because I was I did a, six, seven, eight. That's nine. Oh my goodness. Yeah, no, I did a Google search because, or actually not a Google search. So what I normally do too is I prep for podcasts. I search on, say, Spotify. I'll search the person's name. And I noticed that I don't think you've been on a podcast before. Like you've done all the interviewing all these years. I have been on a couple, I think, but I don't remember, man. I usually don't do them that often. I've been told I should do them more, but I haven't. So Okay, uh, I think you should. I've done a lot of... Thank you for taking the time today to be online. 
actually, I want to jump back even further because I know you actually were a paramedic, right? So you started off kind of after high school, you were a paramedic in BC and kind of climbed up the, with seniority. And I remember actually when you were contemplating becoming a mortgage broker, I kind of viewed it as, uh, you know, you're leaving a secure union job where you had seniority. And I thought, oh, I think he's a little bit crazy to be doing this. So did you kind of feel that way too, back when you were changing? Uh, no, like I'm the kind of person when I'm done with something, I'm done. So I was a paramedic for nine years, you know, my twenties, basically I was a paramedic and it was lots of fun and you learned how to build rapport with people and trust. You know, you get lots of, if you want to sit around and tell stories, I got lots of ambulance stories. And so for that life experience, it was great, but it really was limiting in terms of your growth potential. And my only problem with the union was that it was based on seniority and not merit. So you could be the best paramedic on the planet and work really hard and take care of your patients. But if somebody was hired two days before you, they're going to get the job in most cases. At least that's what it was when I was like, and I was like, that frustrated me because I saw people that in my thinking were borderline incompetent and yet somehow they would still get promoted just because of a higher date. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense. And so, and you know, we dabbled in several other like side businesses and hustles. Most of them turned into dumpster fires and but I've always been trying different things on the side. And so I think I just came back even when I was younger, when we were like 19, 18, we were doing you know, 16, we were doing anything to make a buck, you know, hustling. And so I think I just came back to that afterwards. I was like, wait a second, I'd rather have some control over my, and then the last piece was in order for me to go to the next level or have any opportunity, I'd have to either commute to Vancouver all the time from Kelowna, which is like three, four hour drive or move. And I didn't want to do either of those things. So then it was like, let's get into something else. And the last thing is, when I was 20, before I became a paramedic, I actually got my financial planning license and I was going to be a financial planner because I like that stuff. But the problem was I looked 15 and I was like 20 and nobody in their right mind was going to give me their money, which I wouldn't have. And so I was like, well, at least I'm a paramedic. And if I dial 911 and I show up, they can't call 912. It's like, and I had people go like, are you my paramedic? You look like you're, you know, do you even shave? And so <laughs> I had people give me a hard time with that. But at least with the paramedic in the uniform, they couldn't really say so much they could do. So I think I needed some time to like mature and season a bit. And I got that through being a paramedic. So, but I do, I don't miss it. You know, I got some friends that still do it, but I wouldn't want to go back to it. You know, as an outsider watching your journey and how you progressed through different businesses and even personally progressed, I feel like, man, it would be crazy if you were still driving an ambulance today and being a paramedic compared to the journey you've taken and the risk you've taken and where you've gotten yourself to, right? Even in personal development, everything. Yeah. Like, and there's, again, I think that it's worked out for me. And I think now that I've been self-employed for so long that I'm not even employable anymore. Like I couldn't possibly go work. If mortgage brokering became illegal tomorrow or, you know, AI took over the job, I would start another business as soon as humanly possible. If I had to take a job temporarily, I would, but I would start a business. I'd probably start a business within like, you know, a week. I'd find something to do. For sure. For sure. And I'm sure over the years, because you probably have seen a lot of shiny objects too, right? Where you've tried oh, different man. things. And yeah. so maybe I was can you kind of go through that a little bit from the shiny objects and maybe how you've had to rein yourself in? Yeah. yeah. So one of the curses of being creative is that you see so many things. And when I was, especially my 30s, I would say were my 20s was paramedic. My 30s was chasing shiny objects and trying 100 different things and most of them being a catastrophe, but everything had learning in it looking back. At the time, sometimes you don't know you're learning stuff. You're just like, oh, that sucked. I lost money or whatever. But like I tried a credit monitoring business and I lost some money on that. I tried buying into a brokerage that didn't work with the way I ended up not losing money, but it was certainly a distraction. I built a newsletter business that I sold. I built a training company that I sold. And so I've done a bunch of different businesses and other stuff like a podcast production company that we originally had. 
you know, and the thing I realize now is I'm always willing to try experiments and some of them work, some of them are dumpster fires and it's all good. Like, but now my focus is just on our mortgage company bricks. And so I've put every bit of useful Intel information into that company and anything that we create going forward will be owned by bricks, you know, by that company, as well as it will be designed for helping our agents be more successful. And the way I define agent success currently, at least the way that I never really thought about this before until, you know, the last year, because I had people tell me when I started the training company is you can't make money selling courses to mortgage brokers. They won't pay. I had so many people tell me this. And these, some of these people were quote unquote trainers and coaches, and they could not seem to figure out a way to make money coaching mortgage brokers. And I did it for five years. It was a great, and it's a great business. We were making money and like, it was fantastic. It was not easy. And I had to spend a bunch of money on coaching to learn how to do it. But I learned a ton and I don't usually listen to what other people say of like what can and can't be done. I'm like, yeah, let me go check for myself. Sometimes that means I do dumb things. Sometimes it means that I find a solution that, you know, they didn't see, but I will always want to check. I don't just take for granted that, Hey, you can't be done. I'm like, well, usually when people are telling you, you can't make money as a, say a mortgage broker coach. What they're really saying is I can't make money. And I hope you don't make money either. It's not actually a true statement. It's like, okay, cool. That's your perspective, but is there a way that could you make money and how could you make it work? And so that's how I think I don't even pay any attention to that. Like it's irrelevant to me when somebody says that. For sure. That's awesome. And then, cause it actually grew to a, quite a successful coaching business, maybe a little bit of a backstory. How did that start? How did you get inspired to maybe even become a coach in the first place? Yeah. So there's a backstory there. So basically initially I sold my mortgage business, like I don't know how many years ago that was, but I sold it to a friend and she took over the mortgage brokering. And my initial plan was actually to help mortgage brokers set up podcasts in cities all over Canada and the US. And because at that time, I had been doing a podcast for a few years. I saw the impact of having a podcast. I saw the reach, the credibility. I literally can access anybody in the Canadian mortgage space and even not anybody in the US, but certainly nearly from having a podcast. So I saw that as like a backstage pass to meet all the interesting people. And so we launched this out and I think we got into about 14 or 15 cities. And this was just my own naivety is that people would start the show and then they would quit, you know, after 10 episodes or be like, I can't think of any more topics or I can't find any guests. And we never signed people into 12 month contracts, which we should have, you know, we should have said you got to do a 12 month contract. And so then we were always having to replace them. And so I found that to be frustrating and it was just too early. I mean, we're talking, that was, man, how many years ago was that? That was like, this was before podcasting really became as big as it is now. Like it was probably seven years ago, six, seven years ago, like before. And so we were very early in the podcasting thing. So I was in San Francisco and I had one of my agents reach out to me and she said, Hey, Scott, she was a mortgage broker, but then she became a realtor. So I'm at this real estate conference and I really think you should do training. Like, I think you should start doing training mortgage brokers. You train me and I think you're good at training. I was like, well, I can do that, I guess. And at that point, I'd done a couple hundred episodes and I'd been a successful broker. So I thought maybe I'll take everything I learned from those podcasts, take everything that I've learned from my own mortgage business and I'll create a course. And I had already done several other businesses that I lost money on because I had spent all the money with the idea that somebody's going to buy this thing. But that's a bad idea. It's like building a spec house in the middle of nowhere going, I'm building this amazing spec house, but you have no idea if you have a market for it. Instead, I'm building a what do you call it? Like a, not a spec house, but the owner build, like you basically, you've already got the owner and now you're building it for them. And so you know that you've got a spider at the end of it. You've got the whole plan in place up front before you even maybe. Yeah. And you've got a deposit, you've already got a buyer. So now I, that's how I don't start any business without, like, I want to find, do I have a customer as fast as humanly possible? So what I did, because I had the podcast going and I had an email list of a few thousand mortgage brokers, I thought, why don't I send an email and say, Hey, I've created this program. It's called $25 million blueprint. 
And here's what I'm going to teach you. And I think it was 1500 bucks to sign up. And I'll come to your town. I'm going to meet with 10 of you and I'm going to teach you how to do this or whatever. And I sent the email out and within like two or three days, I'd made like $37,000. And I was like, holy crap. And I literally had none of the training done. Like I didn't have a single, all I had was a table of contents. And I was like, I got to now write this thing. Like it was like, <laughs> you know, so I had, I think by the time I was done, I had 300 slides in my slide deck and it was a full day session. So anybody that paid, I said, okay, right. I'm going to jump on a call because I want to find out what your challenges and problems are. And every time I would get on a call with them, I'd ask them what they were. I'd give them some advice. And then I'd say, what do you want to learn? And they'd tell me, I'd be like, it's a good idea. And then I would start writing it down. So I made sure everything they told me that they wanted to learn, I baked into the program. So I basically customized it for their situation. And then I got great feedback. I got some brokers that went through that program that are literal rock stars now that are crushing mortgages like crazy. So then I was like, I was doing too much traveling. So from there, I found somebody who taught me how to deliver effective program online. And I spent a bunch of money on that and learned how to build a program digitally. So it goes back to the people who told me, Scott, you can't make money selling to mortgage brokers. I'm like, yeah, if you don't listen to what they have to say, if you don't you know, focus on make sure that it's useful, and if you're not willing to spend money to learn how to do something, yeah, maybe you won't make money. But I did all those things. And for me, it turned into a seven-figure business of like just coaching mortgage brokers and a ton of fun, like just so much fun. So that's kind of the path that I went down to get into the training business that I was initially thinking it was going to be something different. But, you know, again, in hindsight, I can't tell you that it was by design, but you just try things and some things work, some things don't. Yeah, that's amazing. Anybody that knows you, I think you're kind of considered like a marketing genius or whiz or like, so I've been to some of your coaching things. You've kind of, you know, graciously let me come, even though it was for mortgage brokers, I'm kind of the only realtor in the room, but I've watched people ask you questions kind of from the hip and you kind of filter that you listen and then you give them great feedback as to how you would handle it. Maybe it's a, a marketing issue they're having or sales, that kind of thing. And I've watched you in real time kind of handle anything, any question people come at you. Do you think that's from just studying all the time? I mean, part of it's natural, but do you think it's from like just all that time learning and with the coaching you've done? Well, I always had an interest in marketing. So even I remember I took college for three months back when I was like 19. And I tell people I studied alcoholism and they're like, how can you do that? And I'm like, you drink four nights a week. You get, <laughs> you get a degree in alcoholism and run out of money. And the only two classes that I never missed, didn't matter how drunk I was or hungover, was accounting because I like math. And the other one was marketing. And I remember one time my professor saying, or TM professor, whatever they call it in college, he was like, you don't have to come, you know. I think he was basically saying like, dude, you smell like a brewery. Like, why are you here? And I was like, I just love marketing. But then I had the, not very long in, I, I had the realization, I was like, if this person really understood marketing, why are they working here? Like, why are they not going to start a business? That was the thought that crossed my mind when this person would get up and talk about, you know, business and stuff. And so marketing, I have a very keen interest in, and I've studied it and taken coaching on it and read tons of like, and then I'm just willing to try stuff. Like, so I think marketing is one of those things that I have developed a skill. I had an interest in, but developed it over the last 15 years, 16 years to make it like, I think I'm decent at it. My buddy met with a guy last week who has a hundred million dollar a year coaching company. Mine was like seven figures, you know, and I was like, oh, that's pretty good. He's doing a hundred million. I'm like, oh my goodness. Like eight figures is 10 million. So he's like nine figures. Is it nine figures? No, no, it's eight. It's a lot. Anyway, <laughs> it's uh, a lot of figures and there's levels to this stuff. And there's always somebody that's way farther ahead. But for me, when I heard that, my initial thought was he's just made better choices than me. I didn't feel like inferior or that, like, I just thought, man, this guy, he's probably my age, pretty close. And I was like, he's just made better choices. And so it's like, okay, well, how do I make better choices going forward? There's no point in like comparing or whining or bitching and stuff. Just 
all right, this person's further ahead. I'm not comparing with them. Going back, I can make better choices. The one thing I know for sure, so I'm 48 now. And if I were to go back and compete against the 38-year-old Scott in business, I would kick his ass. Like, it wouldn't even be close. Like, the stuff that I've learned in the last decade. And I guarantee you the 58-year-old Scott would come back and clean both of them up. Because, you know, 10 more years from now, as I keep learning, and I'm not done at all. I feel like I'm still just, you know, learning this stuff. The 58-year-old, as long as I have my health, the 58-year-old Scott will literally slaughter both of them. No problem. I could beat the other Scott with one hand behind my back in any business if I were to take that Scott and compete against them, there's no chance. Like I could outmarket them, outsell, out lead, out everything. And I know in 10 years from now, my goal is to be that much better that even the current version of me is not as good as the one that's coming. So that's just how I think. That's a great way to view it. And I like that analogy because it's almost like if you know if you did Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I used to do it, and you get someone that's a black belt in the room, and there's a real difference at each level, right? Each belt level is. But even there's black belts at levels. There's the black belts who are competitive, who are going to tournaments and compete at a high level. And there's just the black belts who teach and don't really have any competition around them that keeps them sharp. And those guys will get slaughtered by the guys who are in the competition level black belt who are at tournaments all the time and training with your training partners matter a ton. Like up to a point, once you become the best, you're not going to improve as well as everybody else in the dojo. If you want to keep getting better, you got to find new training partners. And sometimes like... I got a club here in town. I don't think that the black belt, they're one of them. He doesn't learn as much because he doesn't have any good competition, right? Whereas there's other clubs where it's just nothing but one beast after another, after another. And it's like, man, you're going to get so much better by having those rolling partners with you. So, so I think it's so, the same thing in business. So same idea. For sure. Yeah, exactly what I was thinking. Um, it's almost like that saying that you don't want to be the smartest person in the room, right? You want to be around people that are maybe further along than you on the journey, on the business journey. Yeah, yeah, totally. And that's why I say like my buddy who went and met this hundred million guys, this is one of his businesses. We've got a coaching company, a hundred million dollar coaching company, and it's one of his eight businesses. And I'm like nuts. And so my buddy hired him as a coach. He's like, I got to level up. I would say he is the most natural entrepreneur I've ever met. Like he's got the most natural talent with the least amount of like, you know, taking the least amount of training to get that talent. And even he's like, I've got more gears in me that I didn't even know I had until I met somebody that was like quadruple black belt or whatever you call it, you know, just another level again. Yeah. So yeah. for yourself personally, because you started the coaching program, did you at that point have any coach yourself in your life or did that come later? When I first got in the mortgage business, actually, it was kind of interesting. I had, so Shannon, my wife, or, you know, she was in the mortgage business before me and she was pregnant and we're like, okay, she's going to have a baby. I think she's been a mortgage broker for a year and a half or maybe two years. And she got hired by this guy and no, she was brand new. Actually, she was maybe a year and a bit. And so anyway, she gets hired by this guy and then he does like a bunch of interviews. I go meet him. So I'm like, who is this person? And then he says, okay, she's like, yeah, sure. I'll come. I'll take the job as a mortgage broker. And oh, by the way, I'm pregnant. You could see him just put his hands in this like, oh my gosh, like thought you were going to come and help and you know do all this stuff. And she said, but don't worry. I got a plan. You know, my husband's going to be a mortgage broker too. And so he interviewed me and then he met back with her and he said, look, I met your husband. This is a terrible idea. He's not cut off his business. I don't think he can do it. <laughs> and this is what he said. And then that was actually the best thing he could have said, because then I'm like, F you, I'm going to prove you wrong. Like this is somebody telling me I can't do something. And I was like, that fired me up. And then I devoured sales books. And he was actually right. So the reality is that he wasn't wrong because my thinking around sales was salespeople were always trying to take from you. Like I was thinking of these sleazy car salesmen who selling you a car, the engine's going to fall out. And yeah, I don't want to be that person. But only when I did enough training and mindset work did I realize I had to shift. Because as a paramedic, I was good. But I was like, I had to shift from service to sales. I'm like, okay, if I serve people, 
Sometimes serving them means helping them. Sometimes serving them means telling them go somewhere else, telling them no. But if I do that, I can do that all day long and feel congruent and integrity. And so then the first year I was with him, I was the top number one at his company. Second year, I was top of the company. And then third year, I went and started my own brokerage. And I needed to push of like, you can't do it. If they would have said, oh, you're going to be great. You're going to be, I would have been like, I'm going to be great. And then I wouldn't have had something to prove. And so I, for me, and everybody's motivated different, I needed that thing of something to prove. When somebody says, you can't make money coaching mortgage brokers, I'm like, just watch me. Okay, you know, like hold my beer. And I had another guy when I started the mortgage brokerage in August of 2021. And uh, I had a guy that has a mortgage brokerage, which is now smaller than my mortgage brokerage 19 months later. But in any case, about three months in, I was chatting with him. And he's like, yeah, some friends of mine and I are, and I can't believe he said this to me. I was actually shocked. He's like, uh, we've been chatting. We're just waiting for you to blow up. Basically, like, it's not going to work. It's what he was saying to me. And I was like, okay, cool. Hang up the phone. And I'm like, you know, F you, basically, is what I said. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't think about this very often. But every once in a while, I'm going to need that extra level of motivation where I'm like, I don't feel like working. I'm like, no, no, F that guy. And then I'm like, get back to work. And so in the first 12 months, in 2022, our first year, we did 300 million. And then we've added, we've recruited brokers or over 200 agents. Like our combined volume last year was 1.5 billion, which is like, way bigger than what his company was. And we're not even close to done. And I'm not doing it to prove anything. To him. I'm just like, great. You, that's what you think. You know, again, back to you can't make money as a coach. He's saying, I can't do what you want to do. Therefore, you can't do it. When somebody tells you you can't do something, it means they can't do it. And they hope you can't either because they don't want you to prove them wrong. For me, that just gives me fuel. I'm like, let's go, man. Like, I have no problem with that level of like people telling me I can't do something. If you're listening to this, I encourage you to go check out ilovemortgagebrokering.com. You can set up a free power search account and you can keyword search all of our past episodes, anything that we talked about, and you can find exactly in every episode where we talk about it. The only trick I would tell you is make sure you go full screen mode because you can see it better and you can see the text because it's all transcribed as well. Check it out at ilovemortgagebrokering.com. And thanks again for listening to this episode. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.